This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you our manager. It really worked that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Yes, hello. Uh, it is the Brock and Salk Show, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. Jason Churchill going to join us in 30 as we get ready for the trade deadline. And unfortunately, our guy Jeff Passan out for one more week. Poor guy got hit by a tree limb and uh, back not doing great. I think he's off some of the medications. I've been texting with Jeff, but uh, he said he's out for not doing great. He broke his back. Well, I know. I said that. He broke his back. He said back not doing great. Yeah, no. It's, oh, I didn't hear. I, never mind. Yeah, no. He's not doing well at all. His back is, is broken. Uh, so he's going like to join spinal? us. Yeah, like spinal? spinal, according to Mike Tyson. Uh, he should be back next week is what he said. But uh, we'll go with uh, Jason Churchill today, who actually I'm kind of excited to talk to specifically about kind of where the Mariners are at and some of his views on the trade deadline. He even promised to wake up early for us. But every day at 8 o'clock uh, for the next, what, 24 days, Brock, we're going through the most intriguing Seahawks. Yesterday at number 25 was Drew Locke uh, because – Geno Smith is probably not going to be able to play every snap for a second year in a row. And so Drew may be counted on to come in and help a little bit. The next guy on this list, I will say, I think he belongs here at number 24. But as I was looking at it last night, just from a straight radio host perspective, I will admit to saying, how the heck am I going to spend seven minutes talking about this guy? So let's Uh get to number 24. (laughs) Number 24. Long snapper, Chris Stoll. (laughs) Never heard this guy's name before yesterday or two days ago when I made the list. I looked him up because I remembered the Seahawks had moved on from their long snapper. They'd had one guy, a couple guys here over the years. It's really, Brock, in our time together, what if they had three long snappers? Maybe two or three. I mean, like those guys, once they're in a spot, tend to not leave because you trust them. They do the same thing over and over again. They're good at it. And as long as they don't make mistakes, they don't go anywhere because they don't want to get paid. They're never going to get paid. They don't do anything else. That's the one thing that they are doing. Well, the Seahawks decided to go with a rookie, undrafted rookie at a Penn State this year named Chris Stoll. That may mean nothing. This may be a complete bust of an intriguing spot. He may have every snap perfect and will never mention his name again until 10 years from now when they finally get another long snapper. And we say, God, whatever happened to Chris Stoll? He did such a good job. But if he's not, if he doesn't live up to that, well, now all of a sudden a team that generally plays with a thin margin for error, Mm -hmm. generally plays games that come down to the end, Mm -hmm. generally plays in a building where Mm -hmm. kicking is very important. Better get it right, because if you don't, you lose games and you get pointed at. Yep. That's yeah. all I got on Crystal. That's two minutes. You can find more. <laughs> Let's see what you got. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, no, that's why I have I mean, a it's, partner. It's his it's turn good, now. It's a good music bed. Let's see how long this bed's going to play. Who's Chris Stoll? You did Penn State games, didn't you? Uh, You're a Big Ten guy. Yeah. Why didn't you focus I on barely, I barely have the long snapper on my board. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, tr- truthfully. I'll look at it. But but by and large, I don't think I've ever talked about a long snapper ever well, in my 15 years. Not even when you of, worked with Tessator? Of, of doing, of doing Tessator spending half the broadcast talking about the punter. You didn't even mention the long snapper? Oh, no, that's that shows territory. He talks about spin rate and grip and all that good stuff. He knows all of it. Tessator has his eye on Chris Stoll for the last five years. Who preceded Chris Stoll? I don't know. 
I forget his name. Before that was the military guy. Wasn't it Tyler Ott? Oh, yeah, Tyler Ott. There you go. And then there was the military guy. What's his name? You know who I mean? Yes, you do. The guy who was like a ranger. Nate. Nate something. Nate Boyer. Boyer. Nate Boyer, yeah. And before him was another guy. Was Nate Boyer a snapper? Yes. (laughs) Are you sure? A hundred percent. A hundred percent sure that Nate Boyer was their snapper. Yeah. 2016. Yeah. I mean, we, we hardly knew the name Taylor. What, what was it? Ott? I knew it was Ott. Tyler What's his Ott. first name? Hardly knew him, and that's a great thing. Right, you and don't whole, want to know that guy's name. You never want to know him. I also want to know, was it just a snafu last night on your show notes as you sent out? Not only did the name Chris Stoll appear, and I immediately panicked. Like, <laughs> who is Chris Stoll? Is he some D-tackle they signed? Who is no. Chris Stoll? No, he's the 24th no. most intriguing Seahawks. <laughs> yes, he is. But on your show notes last night, did, did you see what you had there? Yeah, I did. I, yes, I did see. I made a little uh, mistake. I yeah. accidentally put irreplaceable. Yeah, so I was wondering, is this irreplaceable? Is this no, intriguing? it's intriguing. This I just screwed up. It. Here, let me give you the honest truth. Do you guys want the honest truth? <laughs> yes. Chris Always. Stoll should have been number 25, yes. not 24. Ahead of Drew Locke. <laughs> Hold on. Agreed. Hold on. I'm going to explain. You know what? Would you let me finish? No. This is important. I like when Stoll gets frustrated with Justin. You have four more minutes. Because <laughs> they're usually on the same team. I'm just four back here minutes. working so hard on ranks. Justin, hold on a second. <laughs> just hold on. The reason Chris Stoll is 24 instead of 25 is I couldn't in good conscience as a radio host start, start? our list with the long snapper. I just couldn't do it. Uh-uh. Now, should I have done it in day two? That's a debatable thing. Maybe I should have found another guy uh, to put on this list. Maybe he should have been an honorable mention. Maybe maybe we needed an honorable mention. <laughs> when I think long snapper. But <laughs> I couldn't start the list with our long snapper yesterday. When I think long snapper, I think of a halibut fishing trip I went on one time. And there was a boat, wildlife came and pulled us over, which which happens. Make sure you got your permits, make sure you're catching legal fish and everything else. And this guy popped on the boat. He was happy as a clam. And you know what he was? He was a long snapper at Oregon State. Yeah. So that little halibut point became long snapper point. And that's about the most relevance that a long snapper has had in you, my life. You played football for a long time. I did. Quite a and while I ago. loved Jean-Philippe Darche. Well, that's Jean what I was going to ask. Who, who were your oh, long snap? Because for a while you had to hold until, if I know the story correctly, you pretended to be tick. bad at it so that you wouldn't have to keep doing right. it. I got a tick. Okay. My eyes started to blink and I had a horrible, horrible tick. And I didn't go see a sports psychologist to break that tick. So I was done holding. Uh, Jean-Philippe Darche was a Canadian and he was in med school and he left med school to be a snapper. And he had the biggest hips you've ever seen in your life. But he was a great snapper. And I think he played seven, eight years. And then went back to Jean-Philippe to med school in wow. Canada and is now a doctor. Great, great guy. And Justin Snow uh, in Indianapolis, terrific guy as well. Just uh, two awesome, awesome dudes. They're usually quirky. They, they usually know their role of the 53 yep. men in that locker room is a unique one. Is they spend their life looking between their legs, uh, snapping a ball and making sure that it hits the exact right spot oh, yeah. every single time. But they made a decision here. They saved probably a million and a half bucks or so. Going with an undrafted right? rookie. To go with an undrafted right. rookie. I mean, it's better than drafting a guy at the spot, I guess. Anyway, Chris Stoll, maybe we'll never hear his name again, but he is number 24 in the most intriguing list. Oh. We'll be doing that every day at also, 8 o'clock. Also had a long snapper. He was short-lived. This guy was nuts. I think uh, of all the of all the teammates I played with, he was on the crazy scale, as crazy as all of them. During wow. Y2K, 
Like he went and built some bunker and buried gold <laughs> and bear. Like, oh yeah, oh it was something. He yeah. he was, he was a, a little off. He was real off. You want to know something beauty. I probably never told you before? Yeah. You I, buried stuff during Y2K? I did a little long snapping when I was in high school. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I yeah. was our, uh, I think my senior year, I was our long snapper, at least for uh, for kicks. I'm not sure if I was for punts. Oh. I must have been. I know you're I looking definitely at that, did for kicks. I know you're looking at that glass right now, and you're looking at Chris Sullivan out there. Our well, yeah. Director. I mean, his kid is a legit long snapper. Legit. We, I don't think, ever made a kick in our time together at, at BBNet. I don't know whether we ever successfully Come completed again? a kick. Come again? I don't remember. I certainly don't think we ever completed a field goal. I don't know whether we ever completed an extra point. We generally went for two. The kicker was a kid named Sean Brugge who uh, didn't play soccer, didn't really play football, but was like, eh, I don't know. I'll take some time off smoking weed to come kick. Like, whatever. And so Brugge would come play with us. He had no idea what he was doing. He was in doing. it for the afternoon tea. Pretty much. He was in it because he had to play a sport. Like, that was the rule. Everybody had to play a sport. So he was like... I'll come be the kicker. And like everybody loved Brugie, but he couldn't kick. Yeah. Yeah. So the year before that, our kicker was our left tackle and the biggest guy on the team. His name was Brian Small, of course, until unfortunately Brian punched the goalpost running around the field before the game, broke his Mm. hand and missed most of the year. But Mm. he was still our kicker. Mm. Was Was that his way out of play? No, no, he just, you know, pulled a Jared Kelnick. He was all yeah. excited and he punched the goalpost. Broogie, small and stole. Yeah, we're quite, quite, a, quite a crew. And all you, right. You didn't have to snap very often is what I'm hearing. Not often, but yeah. I did do it. And uh, I think I did it successfully. I think I don't really remember, to be honest with you. Jason Churchill will join us in 20 after everything you need to know. Next, it's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, I'm not ready to declare anything just yet, but man, that loss yesterday for the Mariners. Prima Nocta? What? Didn't they declare prima nocta? They did, but I wasn't okay. I wasn't prepared to talk about that oh, today good. either. Oh, very good. First night. Uh, <laughs> that loss last night kind of felt like a last gasp that was being snuffed out, unfortunately. Could have been the most surprising win of the year. Raise your hand if you were infuriated with the idea of Colton Wong pinch hitting with two outs and a man on down one in the ninth. Yes, that's right. I see all those hands across Seattle. Well, guess what? Colton didn't want to hear it. The next pitch to Wong. Swinging a fly ball. It's on its way. It's out to right field and gone. Pinch hit. Go ahead. Home run. Who? Colton Wong. And the Mariners are in front. They are stunned in the Twin Cities. How in the world? 3 2 all right, a couple of things. First of all, Gary laughing next to Aaron is hysterical. So good. Second of all, what Aaron should have said is, I am stunned in the Twin Cities because he sounds completely flabbergasted by what he had just seen. Unfortunately, all of that excitement, it went kaput a few minutes later. Andres Munoz comes in for the save, gives up a double that Tramel probably should have had at the wall, and then a second double after that score to run. Mariners start with the man on second in the 10th. And go one, two, three. You just can't do it. Scott Service not impressed with the situational hitting. You know, Lopez is out there. We saw him at our place. Uh, you know, he's has ups and downs this year. He's got a good sinker, but you know, our situational hitting again. You know, try to get that first guy over to third. But you know, in that situation, that's the middle of our lineup. You know, those guys are the guys that we lean on to come through. And you know, Lopez made pitches. 
Yeah, I'll finish the rest of that situ- that sentence for you, Scott. Your situational hitting is the worst in the league, and the and the numbers bear that out in 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 these situations with runners in scoring position, runner on second, trying to get him to third, runner on third, trying to get him home with less than two out. You're you're the worst in the league, and it's why for the twenty second time, hat tip to you, Larry Stone, to go back and do the work for the twenty second time. In 100 games, these Mariners are 500 mm-hmm. for the 22nd time. They it's just really cannot amazing. get away from it. I know, and they waste yet another really great performance. Luis Castillo was filthy yesterday. Nine strikeouts, seven innings, only give up two runs. Scott liked what he saw. Oh, he's just super aggressive. His stuff was really good. He went right after him, you know, both with the fastball slider. Uh, had a good changeup going. Their left-handed hitters have been tough on us. They really have. I thought he did a nice job locking those guys down and getting as deep in the ballgame as he did. Yeah, he did do a nice job, unfortunately. It is all for naught. Here's the second thing you need to know. Seahawks report tomorrow, and Chenna Nuosu will be reporting with a big old smile and a fatter wallet than he had a couple of days ago. He signs a three-year extension, gets himself a nice raise. The deal could be worth between 45 and $59 million. Kind of the one known quantity on the edge. His defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt, just loves him. He is a... Uh... The consummate professional, not to sound like coach talk, but you got to be around him to understand. Like, this guy is first class, business all day, incredible work ethic, super, super smart. He's unselfish, you know, with his ability to go work with the other guys that surround him and a great uh, leader for young players in terms of how to conduct yourself. If you have questions and things like that, how to ask and go about it, and he can help teach guys and help them understand, you know, how things get put together. I mean, I just can't say enough positive things about this cat. The human being that he is, the player that he is, and he's young, he's still, he's only getting better. You know, he's going to continue to improve facets of his game. So thank God we got him. So, so lucky. And thank God you got him for now another three plus years. So he's, he's a Seahawk, man. As I listen to Clint there and think about the best Seahawks, Salky over 14 years with Pete Carroll, he fits right in that mold, which is why they fit him into that same extension mold that they have done with so many of their players that, that they want to reward. They, they fold in that three-year extension onto the final year of his deal. It makes it a little bit easier and more cap-friendly. Actually, will create about $5 million in cap space to hopefully get Devin Witherspoon signed and get that done. So he's on the field tomorrow for the first day of training camp. And how in the world is Uchenna Nuosu one year older than Stetson Bennett? That's pretty crazy. He's 26. Stetson's like 25. <laughs> yeah. It's just pretty nuts. So a lot of good football. How old here. are you? I'm, I'm young, Mike. You look young. I do look young. I was just going to say, young. you look young. I've heard mm-hmm. that recently. I just It seems like, it seems like you, you look young. Thanks. Question number three. Here's the third thing you need to know. I guess we're not doing that anymore. Seahawks came out on top again in both of these situations. Crystal got you broke, man. Crystal broke you. I, I've, been ha- I've been having trouble talking today. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm still still in recovery. From, you look young too. How I'm still in recovery from Taylor Swift. Just give me a break, man. I'm I'm doing the best I can here. Tyree Wilson. Remember we talked about him a ton, right? He was the probably the best defensive player on the board when the Seahawks picked at number five. They chose not to go in that direction, and we spent a lot of time wondering when he was going to work out. Right? You said he was going to be a workout warrior, a guy who was going to blow it up at the combine. Well, he didn't work out at the combine because of his foot. Then he didn't do a private workout because of his foot, and now. 
Well, he's on the non-football-related injury list. Because of his foot, he yes. was drafted by the Raiders two picks after Seattle. Yeah, these are uh, the kind of news that starts to come out as everybody gets into training camp. Pretty devastating news for the Bills as well. Yesterday, Naheem Hines, kind of their little scat back and returner and specialist. Do you see that story on a jet ski? Right, it's why that month, man, it's why John Schneider and Pete Carroll can't wait for these guys to get in the building today to take their physicals because they know that last month of their life, the last three weeks as they've been off, is some of the most dangerous time. And, and, and inevitably, a team is going to lose a player. And he was on a jet ski, gets run into by somebody else, tears up his knee, Sheesh. done for the year. So hopefully none of those stories, none of those surprises come out of Seahawks camp as they will get there today, take their physicals, and be on the field tomorrow. All right, that's everything you need to know. We do a quarter past every hour. This just came out a couple of minutes ago, Brock. The NFL Top 100 list will uh, is just about ready to go here. They've this- revealed 100 through 91. But they also mm. revealed the players that just right. missed the cut, which I sent you guys. That's what I was looking at. I, I saw this uh, online a few minutes ago. I was going to see if we had a moment to get to it here before we get back to some baseball. Three Seahawks just missed the top 100. Mm. At number 110, mm. Quandre Diggs. Mm. He's going to be mad. At number 102, Jordan Brooks. Whoa, okay. Which is actually, I think, kind of a nice spot for Jordan yeah. Brooks. Yeah. And at number 101... DK Metcalf. (gasps) What? That makes me wonder if the Seahawks aren't going to have a single player in the top 100. Well, it's voted on by the other players. I could see Tyler being on there. They'll have Tyler. I hope so. Maybe Tariq. But that's about all that's left, I think. Enough respect for Bobby. Gino, Mm -hmm. no chance. Mm -hmm. Bobby? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, Bobby will probably, yeah. We'll see what happens. But man. Yeah, doesn't that seem pretty low for DK Metcalf? So, you know, this is sort of who the Seahawks are going to be, though. This is what we've talked about. They should have a lot of guys in the, like, 90 to 110 range as, like, a deep team mm-hmm. that maybe doesn't have a ton of stars all over it. But, man, mm-hmm. the, re- the disrespect is noted from sure uh, both Quandre and DK Metcalf. All right. Uh, we have asked Jason Churchill to wake up early, and he has agreed to do it because he is so interested in talking about the trade deadline. We're under a week to go. The Mariners are going to have to do something in one direction or another. And if you choose not to decide, you have still made a choice if they decide to do nothing. So Jason will help us with that next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Still kind of bugs me out that the trade deadline isn't July 31st anymore. I mean, it was July 31st forever and ever. This year it's going to be August 1st. But the Mariners still have some decisions to make between now and then. And uh, Jeff Passan's not available still to help us out with that as he is recovering from his uh, broken back. A tree limb fell on him as he was out doing some volunteer work in uh, Kansas City. And so one more uh, week on the injured list for Jeff. Jason Churchill, kind enough to join us in his stead today from Prospect Insider. Jason, good morning. How are you? Hey, pretty good. This is really early for me, guys. But, uh, you know, good luck to Jeff Passon getting better because, wow, that's a scary situation. My back, however, gentlemen, feels pretty good this morning. Good. Well, we're impressed that you were able to wake up early. We think it's too early also, and yet somehow this is the <laughs> life that we've carved out for ourselves. Uh, I think you've got an interesting take in general on the trade deadline. So before we kind of dig into what the Mariners should do, give me kind of your general view on what the trade deadline is and what it's all about. 
Yeah, so I'm of uh, the belief that there are very few opportunities to acquire impact players. The trade deadline is one of them. The offseason is obviously the other. And I just feel like if you're one of those clubs that's short, that's not where they want to be, that's not where they need to be, you can't pass on the trade deadline. And it's really that simple. If the Mariners were 10 games under 500 right now and 12 games out of, out of first place or 15 games out of the division lead and 10 games out of the wild card with nine teams to pass, I would still be in camp by uh, when it comes to multi-year answers to solve some problems on this roster. Clearly, they're two, three, four players away. Why would you ever pass up an opportunity if that opportunity is there to acquire that player, even if the rest of this season isn't really what it's all about? Is this a Mariner-specific plan, uh, Jason, or is this um, because or, or bigger? Is this you know just generally your baseball playing for all the other teams? And I say that, and I sputter a little bit because the Mariners are a DDT; they're draft, develop, and trade. They are not a big mm-hmm. free agent spender. So is that emphasized even more because of the way the Mariners do business? I think it is. I think this is literally the time of year where Jerry DePoto and that front office's skills shine the best when it's time to make a trade. We saw it last summer. And I know, like, last summer when they made the deal for Luis Castillo, it was, wow, they gave up a lot. Sure, they did. But that's what it takes to get impact players and turn your team into something, you know, instead of, hey, we might be good in two, three years, to, wow, look how much better we are today. And I just think, and we've heard Jerry talk about on your show uh, and elsewhere about, hey, we don't want to go out and spend on a bunch of rentals, but that actually might be the best plan this summer. I don't know if they're going to be these these multi-year all-star level players available at the deadline. You know, you don't see hitters of the caliber Seattle really needs long-term, at least one foundational piece added to this lineup, and maybe a couple of other average to above average bats added between now and the, the, the start of next season. You don't see those guys traded ever all that much. And if you look at it from a, a trade deadline in-season standpoint, it hardly ever happens. I went back five years just to get an idea, and there were two, maybe three, and one of them happened in May, and that was when Tampa traded really a dominant Brewers. So what do you do? I mean, what what is their top priority? Yeah, I think you have to go find bats, and even if it's two or three, like, average bats, I look at this lineup, guys, as a, as a lineup that's good enough to score – 4.7, 4. 4.8, 4.9 runs a night. And they're really not all that far off that pace now, but they do lack consistency. They'll score eight one night and then four the next two games. So we've seen it all year. We even saw it some last year. But I also think this is one of those lineups that kind of just needs to be unlocked a little bit. I think the top five or six guys in the order have been asked to produce, you know, to the equivalent of eight or nine spots because they've had so many big holes. Pollock didn't hit. We saw Caves in when Jared Kelnick hit and, and, and even Teoscar Hernandez started the year poorly, but Colton Wong hasn't done much. Caballero has cooled down. Uh, you, you know, there's just too many spots in the order where you're just not getting enough consistent production from. So if you were to add three bats to the fire, I think two everyday guys, even if they're just average, even if they're stats of going, they hit 250, they get on base at an average clip, you know, in a full season, they might hit 12 to 16 home runs. I think if you added three of those guys, Two of those guys that play every day, one of those guys that can come off the bench and give you some punch late in game. I know this is awkward talking about this after Colt Long <laughs> played hero last night off the bench, but that's clearly a guy they've been waiting for all year, and it really hasn't happened. I think three players like that, those two every day guys that one bench guy, completely changed this entire lineup, even though they'd mostly be batting seven, eight, nine. 
So you are the prospect insider. They make the big move last year. They move a bunch of their prospects in order to bring Luis Castillo back. That's maybe what you want to do. It's largely what I've argued for to some degree, Jason. But do you have the prospects in your system to get that done, what you're asking for? I think you do, and I look back to last offseason. It's it's my opinion. I don't know what went on in that front office. I don't know what the plan was. I don't know what they're thinking. My best guess is they misjudged the trade market last winter. Like I think everybody misjudged the free agent market, but I think they misjudged the Mariners misjudged the trade market, thinking something would be there at a certain price range, and the guys that they really wanted to spend X, Y, Z up were not available for the price they wanted to pay. I think it's time to just raise the price you're willing to pay. I keep comparing it to buying a car. You're going to go out and you buy a car, it's $40,000, but you only want to spend thirty-four. dollars well, you're not necessarily going to buy that car because you have other options. But what happens if you don't have any other options? Eventually, as long as you have it, you're going to pay that forty grand, and I think that's where Seattle is right now. I think you just have to pay the freight, and I think that's the reason why it hasn't happened yet. You know, between the end of last season and now, they just haven't been willing to pay the price, and it's time to do that. I even I think even this year's team is worth going out and paying the freight for that player if he's available. If that player is available this summer, that multi-year, the second baseman, the shortstop, the third baseman, the outfielder, whatever it is, the non-rental that can help you over multiple seasons, I think they just need to pay. And I do think they have the prospect capital to go do it. It's going to cost dearly. But I've been talking to folks for the last month. People keep telling me that, that Harry Ford is about where Noel de Marte was a year ago. And Noel de Marte was if there was a centerpiece in that deal for Luis Castillo, he was the centerpiece. So you're telling me Harry Ford can't be the centerpiece this year and then just back it up with guys like Michael Arroyo and, and Gabriel Gonzalez, maybe Emerson Hancock. This this farm system has plenty to give. They just have to be willing to give it. Is and there is Black there a player, though, Jason? Is there a player valuable enough to give that up? I mean, I'm not against the idea of giving up Harry Ford for a Luis Castillo mm-hmm. type of talent. Who is that? I, I don't see who that is. Yeah, that's the that's the tough one, and that's why I'm all over the rental market right now. And I think Seattle should pay for for that too. Um, it, it, I, I understand not wanting to go out and pay the trade price for two months of an all star to, to superstar level player. The, the Shohei Otani's and even maybe a Cody Bellinger who might be available out there, who's pretty much a rental with the opt out he has. Those guys might cost you more than you'd be willing to pay, more than you should pay for two months. But there's lots of other average to slightly above average hitters out there that can really help this lineup that are only going to cost you prospects that are ranking somewhere between, I don't know, 12 and 30. Give me names. Okay, then give me names. Who is that? Uh, Randall Griffin, uh, Mark Canna. You tell me adding those average type bats to your lineup doesn't make it significantly better considering the production you've been getting so far. All of a sudden, those spots in your lineup aren't holes anymore. You go out and you spend guys down your system like Michael Morales, for example. Send him to the Mets for Marquette. You tell me that's not worth it? I think it is as long as you're you're doing the – if you just do one of those, it's not going to make much of a difference. But if you do two or three of those and you go out and find a back-end rotation arm so you can take care of the number five spot in the rotation with the Brian Wu workload situation, all of a sudden this team to me looks at least as good as Toronto. Probably so, better. So Jason, Jason Churchill, prospect insider here with us. You're not trading from the major league, uh, your your major league roster. I really wouldn't unless there's some sort of a sideways deal where your team can get better now and in the future by combining a Teoscar Hernandez or a Tom Murphy or even a Paul Seawall, but with a prospect or two 
to get one of those players that really might not be available. One of the guys, I mentioned Willie Adamas because he was an example of a, of a pretty good offensive player that was traded in the middle of the season. I don't know what the Brewers are going to do. They're in the race in the Central. But Willie Adamas is not re-signing with Milwaukee. So that's a name. He's not in a great year, but that's a pretty good player that would give you another middle infielder. That's a guy I would consider trading in some sort of sideways deal. And you'd have to make a deal in, the, in that direction if you're going to want to get a good player from a contending team. So for me, that's the only way I, only way I would tra- trade from the current 26-man roster, at least from the core. You know, that, that bullpen, the back end of the bullpen, Teoscar and the guys that hit in the middle of the order, the top six or seven. Uh, otherwise, I'm just adding to this team and not even considering selling off at all. It's funny. That was uh, Adamus is one of the names we talked about a little bit this offseason as being a possibility. Jerry's... Jerry's um, past shows that he likes to find guys that are young major leaguers that haven't done a ton yet that he sees more ability in them. Mitch Haniger, Ty France. Uh, it didn't work out for Abraham Toro, but that was the thought behind it. Are there guys like that potentially available? And maybe we just don't know who they are, but it seems like if I trust Jerry to do anything, it's to try a deal like that. Yeah, there really could be. I think the, the question is, is that good enough for the 2023 team? I don't want to leave the 2023 team behind in this thought process. I don't want to think only about 24 and beyond. If you go get a guy who hasn't done much yet, how much does that help you now? Do you really think he's, you know, let's let's acquire him because he's ready to explode on August 1st kind of a deal? Like, I don't really understand that sort of a process. So uh, I'm looking at, let's go get guys that we feel really good, that have a track record, they feel really good about performing now that are upgrades to what we have. But you're right, Mike. One guy that I keep thinking about is Vaughn Grissom in Atlanta. I'm not sure exactly how you acquire him, what Atlanta's plans are for him, but that would be a guy who's shown a little bit at the major league level, but he's been kind of up and down this season in AAA and uh, and in the big leagues with the Braves that maybe you could see something in giving him more time, having having at-bats to give him where Atlanta really doesn't where it could unlock his potential and you could get more out of him. But is that really the answer for this year? It might be part of the answer for next year, but that's a really difficult sell for me to think that that players like that are the answer in the summer of 2020. So you really, you still are, are not done with this year, which is interesting. When we talked to Jerry last week, he says selling is still, you know, has always been a possibility and ridiculous, ridiculous. Scott. That is ridiculous. Like to, seriously to me. And usually I'm the guy who's like, yeah, I get what Jerry's doing. I'm the guy who, like, people call me a Jerry defender, and, and and I'm not, but I just really have understood, I think, what his vision is this whole time. Like, way back in 2016, all the way through tearing it down after 2018, the rebuild so far, but that I don't get. I'm not sure if it's true, to be honest with you, but I don't understand right now. If you're, you know, what are they, what are they eight and a half out of the division, five and a half out in the wild card, and they're what, you know, it, six and a half out of the number two wild card. There's six and a half games with a week left before the deadline, six and a half games from two playoff spots. And then talking about selling, get out of here, get out of here. But they, then, then why have they been so massively underperforming offensively as you sit and you watch so many of these games and you work uh, alongside Goldie and you look at all the numbers, why have we seen so much across the entirety of this offensive roster, such underperformance? Yeah, I think part of this is it's baseball. You look around baseball, look at some of the free agents we were talking about over the winter. Trey Turner, not having a good year. Carlos Correa, not having a good year. Xander Bogarts, not having a good year. Those guys make over a billion dollars combined, all those shortstop free agents, and only one of them is really having a pretty good year, and that's Danby Swanson. 
things like this do happen. Unfortunately, and I've talked about this for years, when you put together a roster and you expect it to score runs consistently, you expect it to win consistently, win 90, 95 games, maybe have a chance at 100 if things just go your way, but you don't have overflow of talent, things like this can happen, and then you're kind of stuck exactly where the Mariners are. Like, we didn't expect Julio – like, he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been good either, right? Nowhere near what he was a year ago. Eugenio Suarez, he's been significantly better lately, but he hasn't performed the way that he did a year ago or anywhere close. And I was expecting a step back, just not this large. And then guys you go get don't necessarily perform at the level that you expected. Teoscar Hernandez has been better lately, but he didn't start great and still hasn't exactly had the season that we hoped for. Cole Long hasn't really done anything since Thursday or uh, Monday night's game in, in Minneapolis. So things like that do happen, but when you don't have good contingency plans or the ability to go out and make deals like Jerry did in in 2018 earlier in the year because the trade market hasn't developed because there's more playoff teams right now trying to hang in that race, like it just was, it was a failure of the offseason that really set them up for this. And most of what could go wrong really has. I, I think that's the biggest part of it. But again, I'll go back to what we talked about at the top. I think this lineup is, just a couple of quality hitters away from completely unlocking the whole thing. You could tell me they acquired a seven-hole hitter and an eight-hole hitter that were average major leaguers, and I would say they're catching the Toronto Blue Jays the rest of the way. Well, because the pitching has just been that good. So last thing for you here, Jason, and and then Brock and I will probably debate this ourselves for a little while because uh, I, I think there's a lot in here. The other question is when you start looking at this team, because you've given a very positive take on where they're at in 23, which I think there's some merit to. The other side of it is, what if Eugenio Suarez is no longer a core piece? What if Ty France has shown this year that he's not what he was supposed to be? You don't have a second baseman moving forward. All of a sudden, you could make an argument that you need four positions immediately for next year, not even just like long-term, but that first, second, third, and right field are all long-term major needs for this franchise. What do you do if that's the case? Yeah, I would personally, I would leave out Ty France from that. At least at this point, I know he's had a, a down year. He's certainly regressed. It looks to me like he's trying to get to his pull side and it's just completely screwed up his whole attack plan. But I'm with you. Like, what if this is just who Eugenio Suarez is? Teoscar Hernandez is a free agent. What are you going to do there? By the way, I would just offer him the qualifying offer, and he accepts. You're probably okay in right field or DH next year. But you're right. There's at least two, three, maybe four spots where they're going to need players. Again, I'll go backwards. This is why you don't pass up the trade deadline to buy if you're the Seattle Mariners. You will not get these opportunities. Like, I don't know, just pick a player. Willie Adamas, Jonathan India, whoever you think is an option whoever you think solves one of your problems, let's just pretend those guys are available and you pass because a, you just hate the price or you hate the price during a season in which that player is not going to, in your opinion anyway, isn't going to affect the pennant race. Now those players get traded elsewhere, or maybe they sign extensions with the teams they're with right now. Now you don't get that opportunity in the off season. You're hoping other players become available to fill those holes. It's why you cannot pass up, you know, potential opportunities this summer to acquire multi-year options for the future. You can't be a pure seller in this situation if you're Jerry Toto, not with this team and the young core that they believe they have. Lastly, for me, your favorite 2021 college football moment on the road. Goldie, <laughs> Church, me, the rest of the crew. What was what was your favorite? I got one. I, I, I got one, Brock, when I almost ran over the the college student that was trying to make us take a ride out of the parking lot. I was like, nope, we're going left. Yep. yep. We're going left. 
Yep. Yeah, I think that was CU possibly. Yeah, that was that was really good. Good that strong in, move. That was in Ames. That was in Ames. Oh, that, that, was, that oh, was Iowa State. Yeah, that was in Iowa State. You had yeah. to go to I Ames. Told that story once or twice. Your best, your best moment of an entire season came in Ames, Bro, it was Iowa? a rush the field, Dude. overtime win over Oklahoma State. Dude, I Brock don't want to hear it. It was before Ames? Brock Purdy was Brock Purdy. Ames, Iowa was it your was... best moment of an entire college football season? <laughs> it was Jason, you're not doing this right. I got to tell you. I mean, I, I love you, buddy, but you're not doing it right if your best moment came in Ames, Iowa. That's a mistake. Thank you, Church. Appreciate you, man. Good stuff, buddy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for getting up early. There is Jason Churchill, Prospect Insider. Great on Twitter. Great to follow. You really interesting, smart baseball guy with some different opinions that are not the norm. Bye, 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 bye. Well, bye for different reasons, too. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. bye because he believes in this team. What do you think of that? Well, I, I think if you plugged in a couple competent designated hitters you know and we've seen the difference that mike ford has made in the games that he's helped them win just being a competent designated hitter uh, just bring in a competent second baseman that's not the worst in baseball negative 1.4 war they, they can just go out there and give you league average at bats if the league average sulk is 720 mm-hmm. in on base percentage or on base plus slugging percentage if that is still that number you, you just just give me just give me two of those guys and he's right you go from, I don't know, 4.3 runs to 4.8 runs, and with this pitching staff and what they've given to you for 100 games, I get it. I mean, I think he said it a little bit better than I did yesterday when you and I debated this, and, and I am of that of that same opinion. Wait, are you if saying you, you guys are saying the same thing? I, I think we're somewhat similar, that if you're going to be a draft, develop, and trade, and trade, 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 mm-hmm. and that is whom you are, and you are not going to be in free agency, and you are not going to overpay, and you're going to be a mid-major team, and you're going to have your budget and everything else, and this is the phase that you can do it. You have to be hyper-aggressive. You have to overpay. If it means overpaying a little bit, sorry. It, kind of my example of the house yesterday, sorry. you know. And in the end, boy, it's, it's paid dividends, and this was exactly the right house. And I don't even know, and you know, the market's going to dictate this. The market is what the market's willing to pay. That's what a market is. Right. And over the next seven days, we will see what the market is willing to, pl- to to pay for, once again, a ton of teams as we sit here seven days away that are still within reach of a wild card. So I, I, I don't know what this market's going to be, but if it means Mark Canna and Jonathan India and it means some prospects and it means two or three bats to add to this team, sign me up. Sign me up. You? I'm having a real hard time with that. See, here I am, positive guy again, and you're just Mr. Negative. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> Add to this team. Find some bats. And you just can't. Add to just... this team that you hate. That's what you want to do? I, I, you want to add to this team that all you do is hate on? Oh, I don't hate on the pitching. I've never hated on the pitching. Well, no, you just don't comment on them. I don't. No, they're great. They're wonderful. They're terrific. I don't hate on the pitching. And even if Munoz last night gives up, I don't. I, I've not hated on this pitching one day this year through 100 games. Have I hated on some of the most abysmal hitting and situational hitting I have ever watched in my life? I sure have. Yeah. And and I think some of that is just because you're not you're not even close to competent. AJ and Colton, we go through this list of their numbers. They're not even sniffing anywhere near league average. Yep. So if you give me league average, what does that do to Julio? What does that do to JP? What does that do to this offense? What does that do to actually winning series and taking two or three instead of just sitting here for the 22nd time at 500? I think that there is a sound argument to be made for that. Yeah, I think there is too. I think that 
It depends what kind of a player you're talking about. When Churchill's talking about one-year rentals, I'm out. Mm -hmm. I'm 100% out when it comes to anybody that you're only going to have for two months. Yep. When it comes to, and that's why Cody Bellinger. Even, even if it's a, your number 12 prospect, even if it's your number 10 prospect, even if it's one of those guys. I just don't see any relevance in bringing in a Cody Bellinger if he's not going to be here longer than a couple of months. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. I guess if you're giving up so little, but I don't think that's the case. There's enough buyers mm-hmm. that a Cody Bellinger is going to have legitimate value based on the fact that he's been an MVP. Yeah, and he's having a good year. Don't tell me you're going to get. I well, just don't Cody believe Bellinger you're is not get, league average. Cody Bellinger is right. nine. Well, that's my point. You're not getting Cody Bellinger for your twelfth prospect. But Marcana is league average. Okay, but and Marcana would be around for more than a year. Am I good with Marcana? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sure, bring in a Marcana, especially if you don't have to give up much for him. He's a thirty-four-year-old outfielder. I mean, like that's going to transform your team, maybe. Like, I get Churchill's point that there is some value to just having some competency and some league Mm -hmm. average here, even at the bottom of the lineup, that will help make everybody work out better. I I see the value in that, and I'm kind of, that's similar to the argument I was making with Justin. Yeah. But I think that I would be probably selling on some guys at the same time Mm -hmm. in order to make that happen and in order to try to bring up the depth of your organization because I'm concerned that your first, second, third base and right field spots down down the road are not where you want them to be. You know what's hard about this conversation is just when you think, you know, you kind of navigated to a spot you feel pretty good about, you're like, well, because it it costs you, right? I mean, it's it's a market. It's going to cost you. And and to your point, right now your farm system is where is it ranked? Twentieth, somewhere around yeah, there, somewhere in the twenties. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's and, a, but that's because it's young. I mean, like it, it's a good farm system. And no, and it's it's because most you, of it is young, and it's because you gave away a lot of it last year to right. go for it. Yeah, in you the gave right away way. Some of it last year, you've graduated some of it, and yep. what's left is sort of in the lower levels. But yep. I'm not actually worried about where their team is at in terms of their organization. But you start going big, especially for guys that aren't going to be here long term. Yeah, you you, you definitely like yep. Harry Ford to me. Not that he's untouchable; he's not. I got no problems trading Harry Ford. But you got to make sure you're getting a guy that is going to be worthwhile, that's going to be here for a while, yep. et cetera. So it's a, it is a complicated trade deadline. There's no doubt. And there's a lot of different directions Jerry can go. My gut tells me that Teo and Paul Seawald are not going to be here on August 2nd. Mm-hmm. My gut tells me that Jerry will try to do some sort of a buy-sell combo. Mm-hmm. But we got about a week to see if we can figure this mm-hmm. out. Good stuff from Jason Churchill. Mora put together a new game for today. Who said what? We should embarrass ourselves next on Brock and Salk.